It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Welcome to the Bradley Wigan Show by Eurosport, the home of cycling in association with the lacquer of bicycle insurance. I'm Graham Wilgos. Brad, welcome back yes. to your own show. Off for a week. No, it's good to be back, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's, it's great to be back. Um, a lot has happened. And to help us catch up with everything that's happened, would you like to introduce our guest? Yeah, the man himself, the King Kelly, former Walter winner. 1988 Walter yeah. winner. Sean, welcome to the Bradley Wigan Show. Yes, good to be back and good to have racing still going on. Isn't it just? So Brad, the last time we spoke, mm. Teo Gagan Hart had just won the Giro d'Italia on the final day in the time trial. Now we've got a little bit more perspective on it. I mean, he, he wrote a race diary for the Telegraph that was published today saying how it's only now he's back home in the UK that what he has achieved is starting to sink in. Yeah. Uh, can, you, can you appreciate that? The, the fact that, that, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's only been a week for him, but... Mm. It's going to take a lot longer than a week for it to start, well, for it to sink in properly. But Yeah, I don't think it'll ever sink in for him because you always expect that thing to happen to other people. And because he's such a fan of the sport and such a an idol, idolises the people that went before him, he probably doesn't appreciate, there's a contradiction, he doesn't appreciate his own talent and that he was capable as much as he wanted to. Um, but he would always look up to other riders and, you know... He put a picture on Instagram the other day when there was a team presentation, stood next to the trophy. And now he's got the trophy in the boot of his car. Because um, it won't change him. And I think that will probably make him a better rider down the line, is that it's not a lack of belief. Because he applies himself, he's confident. He, the way he rode that last week, he was so confident in what he was doing. He's confident in his ability, but he won't get above himself and it won't change him. Mm. But... In terms of sinking in, I think it would be hard for him to get his head around the fact that he's won the Giro d'Italia. Mm. Um, it's it's one of those things that, even for me, winning the Tour de France, you know, you get used to people saying it, but the magnitude of the thing, watching the Tour on the telly and watching Sean over the years, you know, in Green and in Jurain and people like that that I looked up to, Bugno, Kiapucci, you never imagined that one day you'd be doing the same as them. Because I'm still a fan of the sport, you know. Sean, it can take you a little while to get your head around, hey, winning a grand tour. Well, it can, depending on the circumstances. And um, as Brad said, for Theo, he went to the Giro, of course, uh, to be uh, the domestic for Geraint Thomas. And then, of course, yeah, we know what happened. Geraint crashed out and slowly he came back into the uh, into his possibility of winning it. And as the race went on, he was getting better. So... You know, it takes a long time to get your mind around that. And of course, you know, when you finish the race, there's so much goes on afterwards. You're so inundated with people wanting to do interviews, radio, TV, written press and all of that. Um, you know, you're in that bubble and, you, you, you know, it just goes on for a number of weeks afterwards. But slowly through the winter time, you know, he will start thinking back about the stages. And, you know, 
he, he will be thinking about the days where he had the really good rides and how it all went. And slowly you start to you know, realise that you have won it. And uh, yeah, then it comes to a point that yeah, you have to be able to uh, you know, control all that as well and not get carried away because we know Teo, he's very down to earth. He's a straight out talker. He doesn't talk any B after the finish when he's interviewed. And uh, But yeah, sometimes it can change, guys. Um, we've seen guys very solid looking, but it can change them a bit. But I think with Deo, he'll be solid. And, um, you know, he, he will, um, I think he will, um, what can I say, um, get more confidence out of this. Now, you know, he is won it and uh, he just get confidence from that. And the age he is as well. I think he will go on and he should be able to, you know, repeat some great performances. One thing I was thinking about during the Giro when he was coming up there, I remember last year in the Vuelta, he was attacking at times when it was a bit crazy. And I was asking myself, what's he doing, attacking out of a bunch when there's a team riding? But, you know, all of those things, I suppose, you learn uh, your trade doing by doing those things and maybe calling the mistakes if you like to do that. But, um, you know, now it's... Um, now it's a totally different situation for him going forward and he knows he can handle a three-week tour with that pressure because there is pressure there. When you get into the situation of trying to win the race, then goes down to the time trial, all of that is something new and he's proved himself he can, he can handle all of that. Sean, you know when you won the Volta, obviously you never won another Grand Tour after that and was there another one that you, you look back and you think, like, I should have won that. And was there a mistake or was there something that happened in the lead-up in terms of illness and stuff? Or So when you won that Vuelta, did you think, like, I can go on now and win another Grand Tour? Or was that your opportunity to win that Vuelta? Because when I look back at mine, I think 2014, because I didn't get selected for the Tour, I just won the Tour of California. I would have been working for Froome, but he crashed out on the cobbles. And then Contador crashed out. And I kind of think, if I'd have had a straight run and been there, I reckon I could have beat... Nibali with the 55k time trial and I could have probably won a second tour I would have been in, was physically capable of winning another tour without a crash um, and that's the one I look back on and think that that would have been an opportunity to win a second tour but with you do you ever think after that that there was one tour or one Vuelta where or do you just see that that, that one had specific circumstances that you managed to win it well I think uh, uh, in the lead up the number of years before that um, 88 Vuelta victory 87 I was getting close to winning it and with a number of days to go, I got a, 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 a saddle boil and I had to pull out of the race with the race leader jersey on my shoulders. But going back from that, you know, I was uh, always uh, going into the Tour of France with the hope of winning it or getting on the podium. And my DS, John de Gabaldi, who had a big influence on my career, was telling me, yes, you know, you can get on the podium in the Tour of France and possibly win it. Because the year you broke your collarbone, you were in really good shape, weren't you? Yes, there was times I was in good shape. Um, but then when I won the Vuelta, of course, I was yeah, in excellent shape. And uh, that year, I, I was thinking hopefully I could, you know, possibly win a tour or get onto the podium of the tour. Because you'd year, just done Roubaix before it as well, wouldn't you? When it was... yeah, yes, well, I had done the classic campaign and I think, yeah, that was probably having an effect on my performances in the Tour of France because doing the classics, then doing immediately after the classics Vuelta and onto the tour, probably a bit too much of a heavy programme. But, uh, yeah, when, when you win a big tour, it does give you that confidence, even though I was trying for many years before finishing, you know, fourth, fifth in the Tour of France. Um, you know, when you crack it, a big three-week one, then you think to yourself and you have the confidence that you can win another one. Did you ever feel there was a tour you could have won or should have won had a certain thing happened or a day happened? 
You got fourth one year, didn't you? Yes, I got fourth. No, I think at the end, uh, when I look back at all the tours, I was never really in a position to win a one. I think um, in hindsight, if I had maybe an easier program in the earlier part of my my season, in my good years, I would have been on the podium. But to win a Tour of France, I don't think I could ever yeah. have done it. A man who has rediscovered his confidence, it seems, after it surely taking quite a knock, Primoz Roglic. Just bring us up to speed, Sean. You've been on comms for the Vuelta all week for Eurosport. Uh, it's, it's, it's largely been a, a brutal week in the mountains, I think it's fair to say. Roglic, he's completed his, his hat-trick of stage victories already. Two more this week, adding to his, his victory from stage one. Well, it's been a real difficult Vuelta. The first week was a brutal one. And... Um, he, you know, hit the ground running, as they say, and winning three stages in, you know, the first week or 10 days. And um, we were asking ourselves in the beginning of the Vuelta, you know, would he start uh, suffering because he's been going so well right from the, um, the moment the season restarted in the beginning of August. He was in top shape. And uh, we know in the Tour of France the way he performed. And coming into this Vuelta, I was wondering, would he be able to keep, you know, that high level um, of performances going? But he certainly have. And uh, not only in the earlier days, like in the end of the second week, he's still looking so, so good. And it looks like, yes, that he's not uh, suffering from uh, tiredness fatigue at all. Brad, his stage 10 win, we saw the what would have been the, the three-second rule that we'd usually see for a bunch sprint was changed to a one-second rule um, that we'd see for the, for the mountains, for the time gaps, which, which obviously led to a rider protest on stage yeah, 11. Absolutely. This, this, this seemed unusual for me to see some solidarity in the peloton for a change with yeah. the riders and, and um, actually all coming together to, to protest the, the, the race changing the rules after the event. Um, and my sympathy here is with the riders. Yeah, but, but why would they change it without discussion of the riders if it came from the riders in the first place? But to change it after the race, you know, this race could come down to two or three seconds. And to change it to after the race, for, you know, when it's been the way it has been since whenever, to change that ruling, um, it just makes you scratch your head that where they come up with this stuff, really, without any consultation of the riders... Um, and yet other things that are far more important, you never see them, you know. We haven't seen Le Partion since July, you know. At least with Pat McQuaid, when he was, um, you'd see him at all the races. He'd be there chatting to the riders. There was some sort of connection between the UCI and the riders because ultimately the UCI wouldn't have a job if the riders refused to race. Yeah. And they're in a privileged position as the governing body of this this sport and... They don't do a good job, you know. And I think if there was strong reasoning behind it, a consultation of the riders just to show respect and the teams would have gone a long way. But to change it after the race, halfway through a race, it's um, it's that way they let they let the sport down. So you know, good on the riders for 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 doing that. I mean, it was enough to put. Roglic back into red, Sean, this week. But then there was some confusion on stage eleven as to who was actually leading the race. Where do you stand on this one? Well. Uh, as Bradley said, I think uh, the commissars, they seem to make a very late call on that uh, three seconds to a one second. Um, and what was the reason for it? Well, w- w- the reason being when it's uh, a bunch sprint, uh, they say it's a three seconds rule. When it's a mountaintop finish, it's a one second rule. It came in in 2018. I only, <laughs> I, I only learned that in this race. I didn't know about that. But yeah, as you go along, you learn. So... Um, yeah, I think the, the the problem was the way they changed it at you know the last moment. If it was after the stage finishing, I'm not sure exactly, but you know it should have been out there. 
it should be put into the uh, the communique, which is the result sheets every team gets at uh, night time after the uh, after the stage have finished. And just you know, if there were a change, at least give it to the teams there where the director sportees can relay it. And uh, you know, the riders were very unhappy, and rightly so. Jonathan Vorters, EF Education First team principal, has been quite outspoken about this too. Let's hear from him now with Orla Shenoui. So, Jonathan, congratulations. I'm guessing you're a pretty happy team boss right now. Hugh's been right up there on GC since the beginning of the Vuelta. What was the plan for today, can you tell us? Well, I mean, with that climb, uh, you know, tactics are a little bit out the window. I mean, it, it's just so steep. It's purely based on legs. There's no draft, so you really don't, you know, teamwork or whatever else is is kind of useless at least in the last you know 30 minutes of the race um up to that point you know the the tactic was just to stay around Hugh as much as possible um and you know keep him fed and keep him out of the wind and you know Julius Vandenberg did a really good job of getting out in the breakaway but that wasn't you know that was not with the thought of winning the stage that was the thought of getting Julius out there just so that you know, as he's coming backwards, if Hugh needs a bottle or Hugh needs, you know, a wheel or a bike or whatever that like Julius is sort of like a, you know, rolling feeding station. Um, and then, you know, Mike Woods stay with Hugh as long as possible on the climb. But end of the day, on a day like today, it's it's just it's just it's legs. It's not it's not about a genius plan. It's just about pure legs. And we could see on Hugh's face just how much pain those legs were in, his entire body was in. Uh, it must be pretty special for you, is it, watching all of that from afar? Yeah, I mean, he uh, he he proved his ability as a true fighter today because you could you could see when it got up to like, you know, 23, 24%, the really, really steep pitches, you know, he was in a little bit of trouble. Um, but then as soon as it backed off, um, and I mean, which is ironic saying backed off because what was it backing off to, you know, 15% or whatever, 18%. Um, as soon as it backed off, he was quickly right back on it and seemed to recover a lot faster than the other guys did as soon as the gradient came down. And so then he was, you know, straight into the attack. So his attack was really well timed, um, just based on pure grit. You know, he, he definitely, you know, if you looked at his face, I don't, <laughs> I mean, there were quite a few other guys in that league group that looked better than he did, but um, you know, he just he just won that on uh, on guts. And Jonathan Hugh was one of the riders to lose time on stage ten when we had this very late change in the rules over the yeah. time gaps at the finish line. Do you take some consolation though from the the seeming unity that we saw in the peloton in opposition to those rule changes? That's quite empowering, I guess, from the inside, is it? Yeah, I mean. I've seen um, in this Vuelta, it seems like the riders have been uh, pretty unified in their approach a couple of times, um, and that's good to see. Um, you know, I hope we get to the point where we aren't going to have to be doing protests anymore, that actually uh, the commissars, the UCI, and the race organizers start listening to the riders in advance of the race. So that we don't have to have these, you know, protests and altercations and, you know, writing letters and all this other stuff that, that seems to upset them. Um, you know, it, it'll be good if we get to the point where 
the riders union is able to to really have a voice in you know in the design of these courses and in the way the rules are executed um you know because they were right i mean the riders were right on that day that was a you know i the the the, the commissars just decided to you know to sort of redo the rules at the last at their whim and that is all too consistent of a theme with the uci is that they just like to do things their way when they want to um and i think it's good that the riders call them out on it jonathan you can have a decent time trial on his day can't he? i mean he was top 10 at the giro last year and he, he has some solid yep. results behind him what can we expect from him in this time trial? And has he done any specific work for this? Actually, he's done a lot of specific work um, in time trialing. And he's a very underrated TT rider. Um, you know, if it's a short pan flat time trial with a bunch of corners, then maybe, you know, that's not quite right for him. He's a little too explosive. But this time trial, you know, being 34 kilometers long and finishing on a quite steep gradient, um, I think will actually suit his capabilities uh, to a T. Um, so I actually, I give him better chances than, than most people do. He, he's a very underrated time trial rider. Um, and, and, I, and I think the, the two top guys have a little bit more to worry about than they might know. Because we've seen vulnerabilities as well from the two top guys, from, from all the top guys, they were all suffering on the Angleroo. We have one more yeah. mountain stage to come in which significant time could be made. What are Hugh's chances overall in this race at this stage, do you think? Well, you know, the time trial is going to totally depend on who recovers the best over the rest day. Um, so, I mean, you know, I, 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 I wish that, that Hugh wasn't 35 seconds down right now. As, as I look at a lot of those 35 seconds and, and I would chalk it up to that he's just never been in this position before in his career. So it was all a little bit new for him. And, um, you know, I, I think, you know, as far as pure strength, he deserves to maybe be only you know 15 or 20 seconds down at this point, and not 35. Um, so I think he's going to recover really well or for the time trial on, uh, on Tuesday. I think Roglic shows signs of cracking. He's had a long season and historically he always fades in the final week of, uh, of Grand Tours and we've seen that. So I think even though on paper, Roglic is the best time trial rider for Tuesday, um, if his recovery is bad and he's a little bit tired, which seemed to be the case in both, uh, both cases, um, you know, he, he might not be as good as we're anticipating on Tuesday. Carapaz is a little bit of a, of a wild card for me. I, I, don't, I don't quite know how well he's going to go in the TT. I think he'll be recovered, but, I, but he's less of a good time trial rider on paper. Um, Dan Martin, I don't really view as much of a factor at all. Um, so I am cautiously optimistic that Hugh could pull off something really special in the time trial and then you know and then we'll see from there. We will see from there. You're, you've clearly been looking ahead after the time trial as well. Will we see Hugh on the podium uh, in Madrid? I, I know so many variables are involved in that prediction and so many things can go wrong but if all things are equal and if things were as they should be in racing would we see him on the podium? Well you know, I don't like to jinx anything, so I'm, I'm not going to predict. Uh, I'm not going to predict much. Um, 
you know, because there are so many things that can go wrong in a bike race. Um, obviously, flat tires, crashes, illnesses, etc. Um, but I think, you know, I think we and I think Hugh, more importantly, in the back of his head is maybe aiming for, for something a little bit more special than just a podium. And in anticipation of that possibility, Jonathan, I need to ask you, he is a man of, of very few words when it comes to his interactions with the media. He doesn't have a social media presence. What kind of a presence does he have amongst the team? What kind of a team member is he? What kind of a person is he? Oh, I mean, he's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's actually a true persona. He has a, he has a very, very big personality. Um, he, he just isn't interested in publicizing it. Um, but amongst his teammates and, uh, you know, amongst the staff of the team and the coaches and directors, he's not only very respected, but he's very, very well liked. He kind of, in a funny way, but less of a showman way, he reminds me of, of, uh, young Rigoberto Oran. He's a leader. He is, he, he he doesn't even know it yet because he's really never had to lead a group of people but um but he is a born leader in that he he does know how to just stand up and and get it done he does know how to lead by example he has a natural charisma that people they want to help him they want to help him succeed you know he he's a very emotional personality and we've had to work a lot on that he he goes up and he goes down and he's got highs and lows and um and that's something that you constantly have to work on with Hugh but end of the day he is somebody that people want to help win and i think in cycling there's sort of two types of leaders those that like force you to help them win they're ju they're just a you know sort of a big alpha personality um that that forces leadership and then there's guys like rigo like i just said who who are such a charismatic and great person that people want them to lead people want them to win and with hugh he's he's not a forceful personality he's not a alpha male um but all of his teammates i guarantee you that whole team they want to see him win they they are they'll turn themselves inside out to to help him do something special well, we're enjoying watching that, Jonathan. Best of luck for the rest of the race. Thank you. Brad, JV, he'll be a happier man after today's stage. Um, we've made it into, well, the, the most almighty uh, of, of mountains at the Vuelta, the Ongleroo, a mountain that, that you're familiar with, of course. We'll, we'll, we'll come to that. First of all, set today's stage up for us. 109 kilometres is a short one. Um, three category one climbs, two category three climbs, a lumpy stage before uh, the fearsome finish of the Ongaru. One by Hugh Carthy, and the most uh, the, the most almighty performance from him on yeah. on the uh, the steepest, most fearsome of climbs. Yeah, I mean he's come of age. He's threatened this for a long time. He's Hugh's either off the front or off the back. He's not afraid to attack. I love his mindset. I love his character. I love him as a person. He's um, not phased by anyone. He's not phased by any climb. Um, he'll have an attack. The next day he'll be dropped. He's not demoralised from when he gets dropped. And he just goes out there to race. He's um, got his reward today. He saw what it meant to him at the finish. And I hope this sort of is a catalyst for him riding a bit more sensible, which I don't know if that will take away from the entertainment he gives us. Mm. Because he's capable of winning this race now. He's now third on GC. Yes, there's a time trial to come. But... 
he's um he's in he's in a position. I mean he can definitely get on the podium. And to think Taylor won the Giro, well I sort of think had G done the tour, we could have had three British riders on the podium in each grand tour this year. I mean when you think back to the start of Team Sky, we kind of forget how good we are as a nation now, mm. really. And, you know, with Ireland as well, with Sam, you know, being the best sprinter in the world now, it's that whole generation change, you know, from sort of Kelly and Roach and from my generation watching Miller and Yates. Um, you know, when Sean took yellow in the tour in 94 for one day, you know, that, and Borman won the prologue, that was like the best thing since Tommy Simpson. And uh, But now it's like a regular thing. We just, we're just... Um, it shows the change, the shift in cycling being anyone can compete, whether you're from the UK and Ireland and places like that, rather than you don't have to be Italian or Spanish or French and that cultured. We're now quite a... And, and for Hugh to get up there, he's got a week to go, you know. It's, the worry is the time job, but his strength today, if he can just adapt that. As JV said in that interview, he's not as bad a time trialist as you think. Mm. The podium has to be a goal for him now. He might have to ride a bit cleverer as well. But at the same time, he needs to probably still ride attackingly. The reason he's so entertaining is when he does attack, you worry that he's gone too early or he's risking something because if he gets caught, he could get dropped. But that's that's why he's such a good rider and that's why I love watching him. But to win a Grand Tour, he's going to have to ride a little bit more clever and need a bit more support around him. Um, but I, I hope he believes he can win this race now. Mm, I, mean, I mean, surely he will. Sean... I want to get into that last, that final three kilometres with you. Um, before we do, here's how Carlton Kirby called the uh, last couple of hundred metres for us um, and Hugh's heroics on Eurosport. Absolutely remarkable. Hugh Carthy has skiffled off and I think he may well uh, reach the line first. What a day. Uh, what a rider. And um, uh, what a demeanour he has, both on and off the bike. Steady as uh, she goes uh, for Hugh Carthy. He's going to sail this one home and I couldn't be more pleased for him. A man we used to describe as the Lancashire long shot. Well, right now he's a Lancashire hot pot and he's uh, boiling over. This is brilliant. Well, Let's cheer Hugh Carthy home, shall we? 200 metres to go. He could almost freewheel it from this point. Absolutely magnificent. You couldn't be happier. It couldn't happen to a nicer guy. And it looks like he's already getting the roar ready. This is fabulous. Hugh the mighty hits the line first. And the clock starts to tick back. And every second counts for him. It's 10 seconds plus everything else he may have lost yesterday. And he's refinding that right now. What a brilliant ride by him. Dan Martin uh, on the coattails here, but a uh, fabulous ride. Vlasov, then Mass, overcomes uh, Carapaz at the 18-second marker. So let's start counting that back. He's going to be in the red jersey, the red skin suit. Not so bad, not so bad. What is it, uh, eight or ten seconds by the end, the gap between them. And Hugh Carthy has just stood up next to this mountain and chopped it down. What about that? I could not be happier for him. So, Sean, Hugh Carthy's first Grand Tour stage win, his fifth win as a pro, that attack that we saw from him in the last couple of kilometres, awesomely impressive. Yes, well, very impressive. And I think, um, you know, uh, tactically, he played it well. He allowed, um, you know, Enric Massey attacked with four kilometres to go. And then we see um, the Umbo Wiesemann, Kuss, he kept a quite a good pace to just keep the gap to the minimum. And uh, then it came back together and, you know, there was a little bit of movement from, from different riders. But uh, Hugh Carty, when he hit out, 
it was just, you know, the right time. But he had the legs also because with that fearsome climb, we could see the way everybody was just uh, fighting with their bikes to get up it. And um, he's shown that in this Vuelta, I think. He has the best form, I think, uh, of his career. And now he's in a position, you know, to uh, go for a podium place. The time trial is going to be a difficult one for him. He's going to really have to put in a good time trial. But after the time trial, it's not over. You know, there's still a week uh, almost of racing to go. Uh, as Brad said, um, you know, will this change him? Um, as long as he's you know, riding for a GC, it does change you because you cannot attack and then, you know, just get dropped out of the leading group. You have to be more... As I call it, you have to make the calculation more. And uh, that's what he have to, he's going to have to do in this race. And I think, you know, whatever the outcome of this race, now it will change him as well because he knows um, he can get onto a podium in a big three-week tour, depending on what sort of route is in the Vuelta or if it's the Tour of France or whatever, uh, with time trials uh, and all of that. Uh, this will give him a lot more confidence than he ever had before. Brad, that final three kilometres, it, it turned into an amazing sort of slow motion bike race, didn't it? Well, it is up there, Andrew, because it's so steep. It always is. Um, it's a grind. And the strongest comes out on top up there. You know, there is no luck. Which is what JV said in his interview afterwards yeah. as well. He said, it, it, tactics go out the window. It just comes, it's such a steep gradient. I mean, it gets, gets up to what, 23 points? Yeah, and you only have to push yourself a little bit too far and go into the red a bit too far and you pay for it because there's no respite. We saw Enrico Mass do that. We saw Rollich drop Carapace at one stage. But you can come back on a climb like that mm. because it, it is just a grind, you know. it's uh, you, you can't really get in a rhythm. You can only get in a rhythm of grinding. And um, when it's like that, it shows the, the weaknesses if you start to suffer. Mm. You, know, you, there's no, you can't drift and just sort of recover a bit because you're always having to push, you know, in a, it's very talky. So. I thought it might su suit Dan Martin today, that final climb, Sean, but we saw him suffer more than most, maybe. Yes, well, he was suffering. We could see there, you know, the face he was pulling. And, uh, yeah, um, if you're just not at your... Um, if you're not on your super day, well, then you're going to suffer. And I think uh, everybody was suffering there today. And uh, it's a matter of, you know, having that little bit more. And when you've got that, you can suffer that bit more. And, uh, you know, that just... That, that little bit extra, you can just, yeah, pull away and ride away in the end. And the Angaroo, you know, I, we talked about in our commentary, it's not a climb where you need a team mate around you, but with Primoz Roglic, I think Seb Kuss was important because, you know, he waited back for him, then he rolled, he pushed it on a bit and uh, Roglic was losing the, the wheel again, a bike two lengths, and then he slowed it up again. And I think motivation-wise as well, Seb Kuss was probably telling him, come on, you can do it, come on, hang in there. You know, that helps you as well. And then the final bit as well, Roglic lost very little time. I think Kuss was important there because if you have somebody to pull you in that run downhill pretty much the line, you know, you can, you can gain back a couple of seconds. So it was, it was important today that uh, Roglic had Seb Kuss with him. But norm, you know, normally that's a climb where everybody is just fighting to get uppers and, uh, you know, uh, just the, the strongest and the fittest just come out in the end. We saw Sepkus drop back for Roglic a few times um, and sort of pull over to the side of the road almost. Um, if he was allowed to go today, could he have won it? Well, I mean, it's difficult. You know, sometimes you, you go better and you ride stronger and you get more motivation for riding for other people. Once you're given that mantle as the leader, the mental side comes into it. But we saw it in the Tour de France on that steep climb where 
we thought he could have gone I mean, he waited for Rolic um, when uh, when Lopez won the stage mm. um, and Sepp Kuss has said already in interviews that he doesn't ever see himself as a leader um, and some riders just ride out of themselves Richie Paul was very similar you know every time he got given that mantle with the tour obviously he made it this year but it's a different feeling I mean to wait 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 to explode your effort and sitting on guys like that and Sepp you know he's so selfless as well but so it shows it's not his first thought is to try and win for himself that he's always looking for his leader but that's the faith he has in Primoz you know mm. even though Primoz has showed cracks in this race Yumbo still take it up and they're not the dominant Yumbo that we saw at the tour they've shown weaknesses but they're still committed to their leader and that's testament to, to Primoz Kuz came in 26 seconds down with Roglic in the end Sean what do you what do you think here because we we saw so many riders today sort of pulling every sort of face you can possibly imagine. Koos, again, just looking just as comfortable as he did in the high mountains at the Tour, no? Yes. Well, I think uh, he is, uh, again, you know, so important to uh, Primus Roglic in this race. And, um, you know, the team, um, it's been pretty much um, excellent in this race. You know, there's days where maybe one of the riders have uh, a bit of an off day, but there's always another one to replace him. And uh, when you see today the way they were, you know, preparing the earlier part of the cli- of the uh, run up to the Angleroo, you know, you had um, guessing was there. Then you had the young Danish rider who set a pace. Vingegaard. Like, yes, they're just, um, you know, they're just still a super team. And when you compare with Ineos Grenadiers, like they're way, way ahead team-wise uh, compared to uh, Ineos have been in this Vuelta. Carthy taking the stage win then. Alexander Vlasov coming in 16 seconds behind him. Enrique Mass uh, with Vlasov. Carapaz also at 16 seconds. So he's put 10 seconds into Roglic, meaning Carapaz is now in red. Brad with Roglic, 10 seconds. Hugh Carthy, 32 seconds. Dan Martin, 35. And then there's quite a jump uh, to Enrique Mass at fifth at one minute and 50. Who do you think this suits the most going into tomorrow's time trial? I mean, it's got to be Roglic knowing just Yeah, how- of course, Roglic, yeah. But... You know, he's he's not as dominant as he has been in other races. So although he may win the time trial, you've still got to have the legs. And, um, you know, it's, it's, we saw that at the Tour de France. You know, he can have off days. He might only win by 15 seconds. He just There's no guarantee he's going to win by a minute or two minutes because time trialling at the end of the day, you've still got to have the legs. Mm. Um, and he showed that he's not, he's not on the sort of form we saw him earlier in the year where he was sort of invincible. He's coming off his best form, but he's main, he's lose, limiting his losses well, and he's mentally he's he's accepting that he can lose time some days and gain others. He might just scrape over the line and win this welter. I think he probably will, but that's that's why he's such a good rider because he's not mentally phased if he loses time. Double it doesn't demoralise him. He just comes back stronger, and I think um, it's more a case he'll do his time trial. I'm sure he'll win it, but it's more a case of the how the performances of Carapace and Hugh Carthy, whether they lose a packet or they just limit their losses to within 30 seconds, which is very possible. Mm. And taking advantage of Rolic not being on his invincible form. And then they stand a chance of challenging him in the last week. Yeah. So I said there, the time trials tomorrow, of course, tomorrow's a rest day. Um, and in a way, it might suit Roglic not to have the, the leader's jersey tomorrow. He doesn't have to worry about the press conference. He can just focus well, on... Well, yeah, I think I don't think it phases him that sort of stuff. But he's going to be behind uh, Hugh Carthy. So he's got, a, he's got a character chase. 
Carapace is obviously going to be behind him. Um, I think it's probably well stationed, really. I think it's probably two minutes the last few riders off in the time trial. Um, so Primo's on a good day. You know, if he catches Hugh, that could be quite demoralising. But if he doesn't catch Hugh and he doesn't see him, then that could be demoralising for Rollich because, you know, he realises he's not on a good day, you know. Short climb to finish the, the time trial on Tuesday, Sean. Um, do you see that making a big difference on GC? And if not, which, I mean, we're, we're running out of stages here, surely. We've got one more mountain stage. First of all, which one are you looking forward to the most? And second of all, which one do you think is going to make the difference? Well, I think the, the time trial is going to be um, a good one for Roglic. I think uh, he's going to put time into the rest. Um, I would love to see it real tight at the top of the uh, standings after the time trial, because then we would have a battle on our hands uh, for the final week. And, um, you know, there is some difficult stages uh, in the final week. But I think um, Roglic, in the time trial, he's going to take a lot of time out of uh, Carapaz. When you look at, you know, past time trials, the Giro last year, I was looking at it, and uh, he seemed to take uh, quite a, a chunk of time from Carapaz. Uh, as Brad said... We thought that the tour, though, didn't we? Well, we did we, we did the tour, but again, I think, um, you know... The man who beat him at the Tour to win the Tour de France, I think he was on one of these super, super days. And uh, Primus Roglic was just a little bit off his best. Unless there's a change in, in, his, in his form, which is highly, highly unlikely now with the rest day, because uh, he's looking so good there today. I know he was suffering a bit on the climb to Angleroo, but I feel that Roglic is going to dominate the time trial. And it's concerning times for the rest, because he's off behind... Hugh Carty, Dan Martin in front, he, you know, he he is going to put in a big time trial. And I, w- I would see Enric Mass also put in a real good time trial. He's a real solid time trial. He's consistent in time trials. So, you know, the battle for the podium places is going to be an interesting one. And, uh, yeah, just let's hope that, uh, you know, they're not uh, big differences after the time trial because uh, otherwise, you know, the race for the um, the win could be over um, on Tuesday evening. But, uh, yeah, it would be nice to see, uh, you know, um, a bit of a battle going into this final week. You're talking about stage nine from last year's Giro, and it's, it was two minutes was the gap nearly, one minute 55 that he put into, that Roglic put into Richard Carapaz. Hugh Carthy came in one minute and 30 seconds down. Going back to JV's comments, Brad, after today's race, saying that Hugh has, he's actually, he's, he's got better at his time trial. Yeah. Uh, one minute 30 is a hell of a gap to make up though on a very, very similar course. Yeah, it is. And it, it's probably a bit beyond him, we'd have to say. But um, you always have to keep believing, you know, and Teo proved that. It's just another stage and he's got to do it as best as possible because this race isn't over till the end, you know. One other thing you've noticed this week is Roglic has been, when he's been warming down. Warming down his time stage, yeah. yeah. And that shows he's concentrating on it. And maybe that stems from the Tour de France. He probably feels that, that what, he didn't spend enough time on his time trial bike before that time trial. Who knows? But it shows he's thinking about it and he sees this time trial as pivotal. What's the benefit of, of sitting on your time trial bike to warm down? I mean, presumably it's... it's Just a, keeping on it because you ride your road bike every day. The familiarity of the position. I'd have my time trial saddle higher. So your hamstrings are more stretched. It's, it's just a completely different riding style. You spend so much time on your road bike that your muscles adapt to, you know, riding on the road bike. And we looked how much discomfort he was in at the Tour when he was in that last time trial. And maybe he saw that as not spending enough time on his time trial bike. 
Um, and that's why he's addressing it now before this time trial. But he clearly sees this time trial as the stage to win the Giro, or the Volta, sorry. Lacquer's collective cover is made especially for cyclists for life on and off your bike. They've transformed traditional insurance to provide customers with a fairer, collective-driven approach. Say goodbye to fixed upfront premiums. Instead, your monthly contributions are based on the collective's claims that month. Your max monthly price is capped, but the savings are all yours. And they have some big news. Lacquer will be running its first ever crowdfunding campaign and offering equity for the pack. Cyclists have helped Lacquer bring a much better model of insurance to the masses. And that's why they want to invite you to join the ride. They're stoked to be able to give the Bradley Wiggins Show listeners the opportunity to own a part of Lacquer. You can invest in the future of Lacquer from as little as £10 and become a huge part of their collective. To register and find out more about Lacquer's crowdfunding, head to www.lacquer.co. Remember that when investing, your capital is at risk. This announcement was approved by Cedars. Welcome back to the Bradley Wiggins Show in association with Lacquer Bicycle Insurance. Brad, we saw Dave B going back to the Giro talking about Ineos' tactics now um, and that there'd be a far more attacking team and they've got this yeah. new style about them going for stage wins, um, not necessarily the same grind that we're so used to from, from Team Sky, uh, sort of grinding other teams down on the, uh, on the high mountains. Are we seeing that yet in this race? Um, probably not at this race, although we've seen Chris Froome being really active hurting himself, doing his job for his team. But it depends on the rider, doesn't it? Carapaz is an experienced rider. You know, he's won the Giro. It's not always necessarily... If they've got a rider in contention for GC, then it's not necessarily the right tactics to start attacking ride, riders for stage wins. So that might be their mindset when they're out of the race, like he did at the Tour. But you still have to see where you're at in contention for the race that's existed because you need every man on, on deck when it's like that. So... But it shows that they're, they're willing to have a change in philosophy if the, if the circumstances are right. You mentioned Chris Froome there. I mean, it's good to, see working, good to see him working hard on the climb yesterday. And we saw him on the penultimate climb off the front today, working for Richard Carapaz. Yeah. Are we expecting bigger things from him going into this last week? Oh, definitely, yeah. I, I still think he's one big day in him where he's going to shine. Um, he's getting back to the rider he was um, with every pedal rev. And he's shown that. He's, he's, every time he does a turn on the front, he's getting longer and longer into the race. He's enjoying putting people in the hurt bag again and regaining his confidence that he's, you know, a lot, you must imagine for him, there probably was times where he thought, would I ever get back to that strength and that rider? With every rider that gets dropped when he's doing that on the front, he has to start believing, look, I can win races again. Sean, for you, will he be refining that belief, Chris Froome? I mean, it, it must be very motivating when you're coming back from such an injury to to feel that you are capable of riding on the front like we've seen in this past couple of days. Certainly. You know, Froome, in the earlier days of uh, this Vuelta, he looked like he was uh, struggling quite a lot and he was losing contact. But, you know, we must not forget that uh, he's been out of competition for a long time. And when you come back into uh, a race like this Vuelta with the difficult stages uh, from, the, uh, from day one, uh, took him a little bit of time maybe to get into the rhythm also experience he didn't push himself too much in the earlier days and slowly getting better and he certainly is getting better because we can see where he's riding now on difficult stages like today and uh, he he's looking like that uh, he's um, he's a man you know with confidence now and uh, he's he's happy with you know the way he's uh, riding 
And um, that's uh, so important for Chris Froome because he needs this um, Vuelta, uh, you know, to finish off the season, looking ahead to next year and looking further into this race, the final week. Um, I can see that, um, you know, Carapaz will be in second position maybe in the race. And uh, Chris Froome will get his opportunity maybe to have a go and try and uh, get a stage uh, victory. As Brad said, he's capable of doing it. He's done it before. And uh, it's um, highly possible that we could see him in this last week of Vuelta. That would almost end up being the biggest headline of the, of, the, of the tour, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, well, Hugh Carthy winning might be, but just the fact that Chris is looking like he can be competitive again next year, which I think is what everyone wants to see. And challenge for a fifth tour. Chris has ridden for you on the Hongari, of course. Yeah. So I want to take you back to 2011 yeah. um, with you in red, Brad. Yeah. What are your memories of that stage, of that day? Um, I felt pretty good, actually. I remember, I remember uh, not being able to get out of the saddle because I still had a broken collarbone. It was only six weeks since I broke it the tour. Um, and although it was strong enough to probably get out of the saddle, I, the nerves and that hadn't recovered. And I always was a bit cautious about getting out of the saddle. So I just had to grind up the thing, but... Those climbs never really suited me, and Kobo went off the front quite early. Um, and ended up winning the stage, of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, me and Chris, I think, were just behind with Welt Powell's, Dennis Menchov. Um, and I think I lost the jersey that day. That was where I sort of lost the race, really. But I never expected to be in that position going into that stage when I started the Volta. I was just doing the Volta much like Chris's this year, just to extend the winter, really, for, for the following year. I mean, the, the operation you'd had on your collarbone, you had it, what, a day after actually breaking it? Three days after, Three yeah. days afterwards. So did, did you think at the time it was too soon for you to even be... Well, no, certainly not I decided back before I left the tour that I was going to do the Volta. Right. Um, and six weeks in, they said I could be able to race again. And I started the Volta and I just um, still had good form, really, actually. Yeah, yeah. Can you remember what you were saying to each other on the climb? Nothing. Is it, is, it, is it even possible to communicate? No, no, you saw Sepp Kuss looking you, so comfortable. You're just trying today. to get up the thing, really. Yeah. It's just a grind. Yeah. No fans today on the climb. No. Um, which is a very different experience for you, though. You, you, yeah, you'd have people had... were pushing us and stuff. And, you know, the Spanish fans are crazy. They, they support everyone. Because the gradients are such, you're going that much slower. And therefore, yeah. um, I, you might be able to take in that much more from the people around you. The fans next to you can actually walk or run faster than you're riding. So yeah. they're with you a lot of the time up the climb. Yeah. Um, and the hairpins are the flattest part. So you get recovery and then it ramps. Yeah, it's, it's really tough. We sort of saw the, the thousand yard stairs after uh, today's stage. What were you like after a climb like that? Or what, in fact, what were you like after I the Hungary? I can't Can remember, you? to be honest. I can't remember much about that day other than that. I just remember Nibbly and that lot all cracking. One minute riders are there, the next minute they're gone. It's like instant, you know? You don't get a sense where they're going to go. And people just run out of grinding them, you know? And it's more mental, I think. People just think, God, I can't do this. And they crack. And were you aware of, obviously, what we know about Kobo now? Were there rumours at the time? No, no. No. I mean, you're not thinking about that. You just... You respect every rider. Um, it was what it was. You're in the race in that moment. I mean, yeah, he'd been out for quite a while, but I think he'd had some psychological issues as well. We knew he was a good bike rider. I mean, but if you rode around every race thinking, well, what wonder what they're doing just because they're better than you, you know, you, you don't think that. Yeah, fair enough. Sean, what are your memories of, uh, of your Vuelta win, um, and particularly the climbs? A lot of suffering. <laughs> so you, oh, I... How do you say on commentary today? You've got to suffer like a dog. 
yes, particularly well, on the Ongaroo, obviously. Yes, on the Ongaroo, like everybody suffers there because of that gradient. And you know, as Brad said, when you're on a, a steep climb like that, which I didn't have in the time, uh, you know, I was riding the Vuelta, we had nothing of that gradient. But when you're going up at that pace at such a steep gradient, the spectators they just put their hand on their back. They're just standing there and they put their hand out and they give you a little bit of push forward. It's amazing how much of a help it can give you. But um, you know, my experience on the um, on the big tours and the Vuelta when uh, owners in eighty eight, you know, a lot of suffering the climbs on me because um, I was um, I wasn't you know the best rider in the climbs and and the steeper ones that we had, I definitely suffered a lot there. Uh, but you know, you just uh, you just fight on and you, you get into your rhythm there on the climbs and you try and have a teammate around you and uh, somebody to you know to just keep that steady pace if you're not one of those riders can go with the sudden decelerations, the attacks of the uh, better climbers. Did it help you being in the Spanish team, do you think, in terms of the Mafia? Because when Robert Miller got done over with the Mafia, didn't he there? And did the Span being in, in a Spanish team at that time, did that help in terms of Spanish riders around you and your team um, kind of helping you get through that talking to others and well i think yes the the spanish teams and the spanish riders i think they accept they accept you a bit better when you're riding for a spanish team yeah. and also of course as you say brad the spectators like they are crazy and uh, the spectators are very supportive when you're riding for a spanish uh, sponsor and i was riding for you know cast which was a well-known sponsor which had been there for so many years going back a long time so i had a a lot of support from the uh, spectators uh, in the Vuelta and also Pays Basque and all of those races. What's more difficult, Sean, winning green at the Tour or winning the Vuelta? Uh, winning the Vuelta is much more difficult because to win the green jersey, you know, you can't have a bit of an off day. Uh, you can lose a couple of minutes. Uh, it's not a problem at all because where, when you're going for general, you have to be there consistent every day. And if you're on an off day, you really have to dig deep and just... As I said earlier in our commentary, you have to suffer like a dog on those days and uh, try and just limit your losses. So riding for the general classification in a big three-week tour is yeah, the hardest thing to you, ha you have to do. It's, it's just the hardest. Kind, trying to you know, fight for the uh, yellow jersey or the red jersey or fight for a place in the overall classification, that is the hardest thing in bike racing. And one more on that. What's your most prized possession? Well, actually, because you had your green jersey pinched, didn't you? Shortly yellow, after, uh, yellow. yellow. Sorry, you had your yellow jersey pinched. Sorry, shortly after the uh, the tour finished that year. If you had to choose between your Amarillo uh, jersey or the uh, Paris Roubaix cobble, I think the Amarillo jersey because a three week tour. You know, I had been uh, working on that for many years, um, trying to get to the level where I could challenge. Um, to win a, a three-week tour and eventually managed after many years trying in the Tour of France and in the Vuelta, of course, where with a, a cobble, well, I have two cobbles, so I could easily swap one. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you'd swap it for, though. The Tour of Flanders, wouldn't you? Well, yes, the Tour of Flanders, of course. You know, I was so many times uh, mm -hmm. close, three times toured. And, uh, you know, if you live in Belgium um, and, of course, uh, the Tour of Flanders is, you know, such a monument, and uh, in cycling terms, uh, it's the one. It's one of the ones uh, that I miss on my Palmarès. And that world title in Salonche. 
If you could run that 10 times, you'd have beat Le Mans 9, wouldn't you? Well, yes, of course. Yeah. The, uh, the World Championships, again, it's like, one, it's like a classic. You know, it's a, a race yeah. of 260 kilometres and it's, uh, it's a race on a circuit, of course. So it's something like a Tour of Flanders where you go around in one area or a Paris Roubaix. So, yeah, the, uh, probably the Tour of Flanders is the biggest one I miss off in my career. But the World Championships, yes, it would be a close. Coming back to this year's race, Primoz Roglic in pole position going into Tuesday's time trial. For the GC, if he doesn't win it, who wins this race overall? I would have to say maybe Carapaz. I think it's wide open. I don't think this race is done yet. If Carapaz can limit his losses and if he can make a difference on that yeah, final Yeah, we don't know day. he's going to go. You know, he's, uh, he's a fighter. We saw him in the tour. He's a fighter. He doesn't give up. Sean? If Roglic doesn't dominate the time trial, we will have a, a great race uh, for the final week of this Vuelta because I feel it will be quite close at the top of uh, the overall standings between three or four riders. I can see Enric Mass moving up quite a bit, pulling back time. And the others, it could be a real fight for the final week and it could go all the way down to the penultimate stage then. Presumably you'd love to see Dan Martin do this though. I mean, I know me and Brad love to see Hugh do it from a British perspective. Well, I think uh, Dan deserves, deserves it more because he's getting to the end of his career. Hugh Cartry, I think he has quite a number of years left. He's a younger, uh, much younger rider. So for Dan Martin, uh, you know, this is the opportunity to get on the podium of a three-week tour. And uh, hopefully he can put in one of the best time trials of his, of his career to, you know, to be still in after the, after the time trial and then go into the final week and um, yeah, either conserve it or be close enough where he can challenge to get back on the podium. All right. Well, we look forward to seeing how that plays out. Brad, we'll be back next weekend. We will. Um, for now, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport. Thank you, as ever, to our sponsor, Lacquer Bicycle Insurance. Sean, thank you for joining us. A pleasure. We can follow you on social media at... Uh, Sean at Sean Kelly CC. Lovely. Brad, as ever. Sir Wigo. Sir Wigo. You can follow Eurosport on Twitter at Eurosport underscore UK. Plus, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you, too, to our producer, Pete Burton. Pete Burton. And finally, from me, Graham Wilgos, it's goodbye. If you've enjoyed the show, please do subscribe, share your thoughts, and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Sean, Brad, thank you to you both again. Cheers. We'll be back next week. Yeah. Cheers. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.